Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Friday, March 17th, 2023. This is edition number 50 of season 8, continuing to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator, and today we're going to consider the entirety of of chapter 5, or paragraph 5. Let's pray together first, and then we'll consider this paragraph just briefly together. Let's pray. Father, as we come now uh, to your word once again, as we come uh, to um, eat of that which is the bread of life that nourishes our soul, that tells us and uh, explains to us your glory, your majesty, your work of redemption that is wrought in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would help us now that we might understand these things, that you would grant us your spirit as you have promised, that you would forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we have been working our way through chapter 8 on Christ the Mediator. We have considered matters related to the eternal purpose of God to send into the world the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he, the prophet, priest, and king, that he might come and redeem us uh, from our sin. He who was born of the woman, um, born of the virgin, of her substance, uh, yet without sin, who suffered in all ways that we suffer, uh, he, the only mediator between God and men. Now, paragraph 5 now gives to us a very succinct explanation and status of which the Lord Jesus Christ, how he performed this work on our behalf. And so we read there in paragraph 5, the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. Just some things to note here uh, very, very quickly as we consider this paragraph. We note first that the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself. Now this was necessary, of course, because we are not perfect people, we are sinners. Indeed, we have original sin, we've discussed this already, but we also commit sin. We sin daily against the God of heaven in thought word indeed. But the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be that sacrifice for our sin, had to accomplish that which we never could accomplish. He had to keep the very law of God perfectly in thought and in word and in deed. And so he did by his perfect obedience and sacrifice. Now, this sacrifice that's mentioned here should remind us of the sacrifice, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament economy, in which priest acting as mediator between the people and God would take the animal that was slain by the worshiper on the altar as a sacrifice. They were to offer a, a, a lamb or some other substitute, depending on the circumstance, that was without blemish, without spot. Now this is a picture, of course, of Jesus Christ, who is the true Passover lamb, who would indeed offer himself a sacrifice for sin. Not his sin, because he had no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might have peace, union, and communion with the God of heaven. And so we read in Romans chapter 5, and verse 19, 
For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so it was necessary for this sacrifice to be accepted of the Father, that it would be offered by one who was absolutely perfect in keeping of the moral law of God. That is in thought, word, and deed. Now, theologians typically break this down into two different aspects of his obedience. We have the active obedience of Christ, and we have the passive obedience. The active obedience is that which God, which the Lord Jesus Christ kept in perfection in his earthly ministry. As the God-man, he kept every nuance, every aspect of the law of God that we could not keep. He accomplished, as it were, the covenant of works that we were unable to keep, that we were uh, because of our first parents, uh, we then inherited that sin from them. That is his active obedience. His passive obedience is that cross work that he performed as he offered himself a ransom for many. It's mentioned as passive because it is here that the justice of God is poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That justice and judgment that should have been ours the Lord Jesus, because he is a perfect sacrifice, took to himself that we might not then therefore perish under the weight of the judgment of our own sin. And so he did that as one who offered up unto God, thus fully satisfying the justice of his Father. Now who did he satisfy that justice for? Not for himself, because he had no reason to offer himself for himself, for he was the perfect Lamb of God. But he did satisfy the justice of God on our behalf. This is known as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We see a picture of that in Genesis 22 when God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac on the altar, and then God provides a substitute for Isaac. And so Christ, because of his perfect obedience, has fully satisfied the justice of his father, But he didn't merely satisfy the justice of his Father. He also purchased redemption for us as well. Reconciliation. Let me back up and read from Hebrews chapter 9 just very quickly. I skipped over this reference and probably shouldn't. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, this is really in the, very much in the middle of a context. You should probably back up and begin reading in verse 1, but maybe uh, simply you can begin reading in verse 11. But it's important to see that Christ offered himself as that perfect, perfect righteous Savior, and uh, because of his perfect obedience, he was able then, therefore, to procure the justice of God on our behalf thus purchasing reconciliation as well as an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. This is mentioned all the way back in Daniel chapter 9. Um, Daniel chapter 9 and in verse, um, verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed upon your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy, a holy place. And then uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 18, 
there we see, or there we read, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's through Christ and his perfect obedience that we are reconciled to God. Now this implies, of course, that prior to the work of Christ, we were not reconciled. We were not at peace with God. There was, a, there was, um, there was enmity. There was, a, there was a, a barrier between us and a holy God. And the only way that barrier could be removed and we could be then reunited to God in perfect fellowship is through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. But he not only purchased that reconciliation for us, he also guaranteed to us an inheritance based on what he has done. And the Apostle Paul makes reference to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then in verse 14, we read again. Uh, well, let me back up to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So all of this the Lord Jesus Christ has done. For those, as the confession tells us, for those whom the Father was pleased to give to him for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. Now the question, of course, for us today is, has the Father, um, have you been given by the Father to this one who has atoned for sin? That is to say, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And so by believing, you will have life in his name. Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for sin? Do you look to him only and only him? for the atonement that's necessary, that you might be reconciled to a holy God. My friends, without Christ, you will never be reconciled. You might try hard this whole, your whole life. You might do all the good things of this world. You might be the most honest, moral person that ever lived, but you are a sinner in need of the sacrifice of Christ. And so the question is, have you laid hold of that yourself? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you place your hope there and nowhere else? Some of you are watching this. Perhaps you have children that have been raised in the church, have heard, of the, heard the gospel multiple times. They've seen it witnessed as in baptism and in the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, and, but they have never made a public profession of faith. Parents, you have a responsibility to press this matter home to them. Ask them the question, where are you placing your hope for eternity? Susie, Johnny, I know they, they don't think much of death when they're seven years old. Um, they think they're going to live forever. But that, of course, is not the case. Mom and dad, you have a responsibility to show Christ to your children. Read this paragraph, discuss it with them, and ask them, are you perfect? Do you want to pay for your own sin? This is what you must do. Or you can trust Christ and let him pay for it and reconcile them to, to God. These are the things that should be discussed in homes all over the place as parents raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Certainly it's part of raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For the believer, of course, we are quite grateful. We are thankful indeed that there was a one who was able to enter our world as the God-man and do what we never could do in a million lifetimes. To atone for sin, he who knew no sin became sin for you and me. 
And we can trust him. We can lean upon him as that one that has guaranteed us reconciliation and an everlasting inheritance because of the work that he's accomplished, both in his life and in his death. He has secured great things for those who trust in him. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Monday edition, when we look at paragraph number six of chapter eight, may the Lord help you today. May you walk in his ways. God bless.